When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. On the Memphis Tigers Sports Network, from Learfield IMG College, this is Inside Memphis Athletics, the official podcast of the Memphis Tigers. Now, here's Jeff Brightwell. Welcome in, everyone. Our guest today, part of the Tiger broadcast crew, goes sideline for football. He's been uh, with me for uh, baseball for several several years now. Uh, also does the ESPN Plus package now for the University of Memphis and uh, we're all happy we have that ESPN Plus package now. It's Greg Gaston. You also can hear him on Sports 56 WHBQ. He's been in Memphis a long time now. And uh, Greg, I know you're originally from New Jersey. You've been wearing some shorts this week. Is this to, uh, like a spring week <laughs> for you? Maybe the first couple of years I got here, I still had that that warm uh, blood flowing through my body. But being here now 20, make that 30 years or whatever it is, Jeff, I am freezing just like the rest of us. So no, I'm, I'm a Southerner now. I've been here too long. So it is cold. But, uh, what have you done the last two days? Have y'all, have you guys gone to the station? Or have you done stuff from home or have y'all just stayed at home and try to stay warm? So I went to the station yesterday, Tuesday for the, for the show yesterday, sorry, Monday for the show for Tuesday today, as we take this, I stayed at home because my car is stuck. Not the roads or roads are bad enough, but I can travel in ice and snow. I've done it before where my home is located. 
it's you have to go down and then back up and I can't do it I don't have four-wheel drive so yesterday when I came back home from the show it was terror I was out there for three and a half hours shoveling moving my car a few feet shoveling again it was a nightmare so I, I can't wait till this stuff is gone we uh so, so it's been a crazy year since last year we're coming up almost uh here in about a month the one-year anniversary of everything getting shut down remember you and I did probably seven or eight home baseball games. It was the weekend Hunter had hit the three grand slams in a row or at FedEx park. Uh, then they went to middle Tennessee played two and on the way to Bloomington, Indiana, when baseball had to make a U-turn. So it's been a uh, interesting year in athletics to say the least. It, 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 funny enough, it's been a, a pretty good year as far as the results. It's just been kind of crazy. The whole world. It, it's been crazy. As you know, not, not just the sports world, but every walk of life, all our daily lives have been uprooted. And it was interesting because yes, we were in the midst of the baseball season when it started coming apart. And at first we probably didn't know. Uh, in fact, we definitely didn't know how severe it was going to be. And it's interesting because the, the one name that resonates with me to the pandemic happens to be a sports figure, not a Memphis sports figure or a local sports figure. But when I think of the name Rudy Gobert, mm. that's the name I think of that just, oh man, this stuff is really serious. We're dealing with a pandemic. It's around the world and we are going to be shut down for quite some time. Well, it's uh, like I said, coming up on a year. So, uh, and oddly enough, uh, as we take this on Tuesday morning, uh, Nothing official yet, but I imagine it's going to be pretty dicey if the uh, the baseball team is going to get to play this weekend. Yeah, it's always a, a crapshoot in February, right? But we do it every year. And, and Memphis, while it's it's not the deep south, it's not Florida, it's still not the north. You would think that most of the time you can get games in, but you don't expect a, a snowstorm. And another one that could be coming tomorrow, which is Wednesday. So it's going to be, I think, very, I would say impossible Never say impossible, but it's going to be very doubtful to get this series in. We hope. I know Darren Shawrock is optimistic. He's an optimistic guy, but I don't know if the season's going to get kickstarted this weekend. And I know they're dying to get back on the field, Jeff, but yeah. when, when the field is covered with snow and ice right now, it, you don't think baseball. I, I can't imagine, like, just sitting in a dugout while it's 30 degrees if they're trying to play a doubleheader one day thinking, boy, this is this is fun. <laughs> sit in here for six hours and freeze especially if you're not not one of the guys I don't know if it's I don't know if it's worse to be in the dugout or or just stand there in the outfield or at shortstop or second base if the wind's whipping around man it's all bad yeah and we're, we're talking about clearing the field and you're absolutely right think about the players and the coaches and every the umpires hanging around that field for the course of a game and having to deal with the with the temperatures and the winds, like you said. So it's not just being able to clear the stuff to play. It's having to deal with the elements. And that's why I think with these temperatures at just uh, amazing lows, we're talking about wind chill factors that have been right around zero. Yeah. I, I know this morning the wind chill factor was one. I know they did that in honor of Penny Hardaway. But other than that, I mean, that's, that's horrible. It's, it's impossible, in my opinion to sit around and play baseball and enjoy the game we're playing. Uh, uh, the last thing, let's uh, let's touch on just a couple things in baseball. Then we're going to get to some some big things that have happened here in the last couple of weeks. Number one, unfortunately for you and I, uh, the university had to make a financial decision last uh, 
last spring or last winter, and they, they sold the uh, the campus station, longtime WMR, formerly w, WSMS, which, you know, for women's basketball and baseball, had provided a radio home for, for about 40 years since the uh, mid to late 70s. Unfortunately, that is that is gone now, so you and I will be doing the majority of home games. I know we'll have some, some overlap and conflicts finishing up with basketball, but the majority of home games are going to attempt to do that on the audio stream provided through the Tigers, try to do a few – uh, remote road games. It'll be a little bit different this year, but you and I, I'll, I, I guess we'll see that transition over the next couple of years as the ESPN plus package develops in two seasons where I guess by that time, virtually every home game will just be on ESPN plus and you and I will kind of, you know, transfer onto that. There's nothing like an over the air broadcast in my opinion, maybe yeah. I'm old school. And I know in this day and age, there's so much live streaming going on. As you just mentioned, we're in the midst of that. But I still think um, I, my preference is over-the-air broadcasts. And there's still the opportunity, not for this season, but for next season and moving forward, that there is some form of over-the-air broadcasts of women's basketball. Not sure about baseball, but maybe they could find some package. Obviously, they're working right now on a contract and and stations and all that with football and men's basketball primarily, but you never close the door on anything, but you're right. The ESPN plus, which we're going to do a few games end of the season, God willing next year is going to increase and the year after is going to increase. So yeah, I would think the bulk of the games will be on ESPN plus obviously live streaming and maybe we'll have some over the air commercial broadcasts. I don't know if that's going to happen. I would like to see it. But, the, you know, the live streaming is nice, and, and especially for, for younger people, they're so used to jumping on the computer and watching everything they watch in life, whether it's sports or, or anything else, news. They do it via the computer and a lot of live streams and podcasts like this one and things of that nature. So it is changing with the times. Maybe with with the games not being on the uh, over-the-air radio for a year, you never know. Sometimes that absence can, can garner some interest. You never know. Maybe we're, uh, as you mentioned, uh, contracts are being worked on for broadcast. Maybe we end up back on the radio station somewhere next season. Look, I, I've always said, I think radio, even though it's um, it's been around forever, obviously predates television. Of course, what we have in this day and age with, with uh, computers and live streaming. But I, I don't think it'll ever go away. In some form or fashion, it'll be around. Whether or not that includes Memphis baseball, we'll see. But I, I think women's basketball, which obviously is not – part of a radio station, whether it be what we used to have at WMR or with a public, did I say that uh, call letters right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Or uh, a commercial broadcast, I think they'll be back. But the question is, and your question was baseball, I don't know, but I don't think the door shut on that. Well, I'll definitely miss the uh, grape juice and trampoline safety PSAs we used to get to listen to on WMR. So that's <laughs> Those are gone, so we won't get those anymore during the broadcast. Uh, let's transition on another sport that you and I have worked closely with uh, on WMR and now ESPN <laughs> Plus and, and some other things, and that's uh, that's women's basketball. You're doing all the ESPN Plus home games this year for women's basketball. I worked with uh, women's basketball for about 15 seasons, so I transferred over to the pre- and post-game host, and I think – you know, if this would have happened at the end of the season, I don't think it would have been a surprise, but I think it caught everyone off guard a little bit Sunday when the announcement was made that, uh, you know, Melissa decided to step down with about a month left in the season. Obviously, you and I have worked with Melissa. We've known her for a long time. 
had some some early success here the last five or six years. Uh, it, it was a tough go in the American, and I think even she would admit she holds herself to a standard, and uh, it's a bottom-line business, and you, you've got to stack those wins and losses up, and, uh, you know, the program will just go in a new direction now. It's uh, it's never good timing for the players, but I think mid-season or even later in the, se- later in the season, which it is now, is, is not great, especially when I think the players, and this is not me speculating, uh, Jeff Crane, the deputy athletics director at the University of Memphis, was on Sports 56 with us, and I'd asked him the question about did, were, the, were the players blindsided? Did they have an inkling that this was going on? And he said he doesn't believe they had an inkling. So this, this kind of came to a head. Uh, Melissa, personally, uh, terrific. Uh, you know, since the day she walked in, to the um, the job, I, I, I've had a good working relation with her, relationship with her. Obviously, you've been on so many countless trips with with the team and all that, so you know her a lot better than I do. But I have nothing uh, but good things to say about a personal working relationship that I have with her. Uh, and from a personal standpoint, hopefully everything's great in her life. But sometimes uh, a new direction is the best way to go. And you got to remember with with Laird Beach and the administration, it's a new administration, so they. They took their time to kind of look and gauge at everything that was going on within the athletic department and then probably from that point on evaluate what they see. And it is the bottom line business. It wins over losses, tournament appearances over going home for the postseason. And unfortunately, it just, it just hasn't clicked for Memphis women's basketball. When you think about some of the talent that Melissa was able to bring in, she's done a pretty good job in recruiting, but she has had some bad luck too. Injury after injury after injury, but you can't use that as yep. an excuse. You can't use it. So I, I wish her well in her future endeavors. Michelle Savage, uh, a, a veteran coach, will be the interim, but as Laird has said, he'll, he'll look nationally for a replacement, and hopefully things can start to get better for women's basketball, but you feel for the players more than anybody. Well, well, let's talk about that. So when the season gets over, uh, Memphis, will, uh, as well as a lot of teams, as always, the coaching carousel begins and you're looking for a candidate. And, you know, we won't really go into sp- specific people, but the, the type of coach, uh, I, I'm not sure who they'll look for. But, you know, we've been over there this year. And we've seen the renovations to the field house. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently, locker rooms, weight rooms, stuff the fans don't see. But this I think when fans are able to return in bulk next year, we'll be pretty impressed with the renovations. So you're going to be able to sell a renovated arena. Now it's their own arena because the volleyball now has the fence center. So they're not uh, sharing that arena with anyone. Uh, Whether you're trying to get local players, national players, international, no one's going to really care at the end of the day, if you're winning where the players come from, you look at what Brooks has done with women's soccer. It's basically 14 Canadians and, and, and heck he played at a facility 45 minutes away from, from campus until last year when they moved back at Murphy. So uh, I don't know if you're looking for that young, aggressive coach, kind of go this football mentality. We've, we've kind of gone the last few years or, or what, but it, it it's a program, Greg, that I think you can be successful in. Joy McNellis proved that five years ago, this job is not that appealing, right. but now that they have put money into it, the renovations that you talked about, um, the, the weight room and things that people don't see, fans, average fans don't get to see. They've really made vast improvements. Now, do I think it's on par with some of the great women's programs around the country? No. Gino Oriyama's not leaving UConn to, to come to Memphis. But there's no reason why they can't land a very good basketball coach. And I still believe, because we always talk about it with the men, how 
packed, jam-packed this area is with talent for the boys in high school, it is for the girls as well. So they have been able to land some players, a Madison Briggs, a, a Jamira Shoots, but you got to deal with also those injuries and, and Shoots just coming back from an injury. But if you can land a few of those players from this area that are top level and then go outside and Melissa would go to Canada. She would bring in a few from Canada. There's no reason why you can't be successful. And then you throw in, it's a very good conference. It's a very competitive conference and UConn is gone. And that's really the most important thing. Let's be honest. UConn is gone, which opens it up for everybody. I was going to say, I talked to Tyler Springs on the podcast that's airing on Tuesday because he's done the women's games now for a couple seasons on the radio since I've, I've moved over. And, you know, with, with UConn being gone, USF clearly with UConn in the league was the second best team. They're nationally ranked every year in the top 15, top 25. They've advanced in the tournament. But, you know, we, we've had success against them. We've, we've grabbed a win or two down there. We've grabbed a couple of wins at the field house. I know UCF's uh, vastly improved. But th- there's not that one team you mentioned like a UConn when you go into the season going – you can play your best. You're probably still not going to beat them. They're still going to win the league. Y- you can compete for a conference championship now. USF is a really good team. They're the best team right now in the conference, but they're certainly not unbeatable. Connecticut was basically unbeatable. They were an iconic program, and you played for second place every single year. So even though USF looks great this year and normally does, they always had to play backseat to Connecticut. But now – even though USF is very strong, it's not like they're invincible. Who do you think, what, what type of, not, not specific person, but what type of uh, coach criteria do you think they'll, they'll be looking for? We haven't really talked to Larry or Jeff about this or even Dr. Rudd, but uh, what, what, what type of coach do you think is probably a good fit to, to run that program? I want to see a coach who wants to push it because you don't see that a lot in women's basketball. Let's use athletes and get it up and down the court. Watching the team and calling some of the games this year, watching what they do, it's, it's old school because you have two bigs in the middle that dominate um, in, in, in Gia Du and in Davis, and that's fine. They're playing to their personnel. But I would love to see the athletes like the Griggs of the world get out there and run, get up and down, force turnovers, do things not unlike the, what the men are trying to do with defense, causing chaos, getting points in transition, and scoring a lot of points. It hasn't clicked completely for the men with the scoring of a lot of points, but they're doing better now. I would love to see it in women's basketball, just a team, instead of just relying on that half-court offense, move and get down, up and down the court. All right, let's transition to the men now that we're kind of on that subject. Another postponement this week, and it's going to be about two and a half weeks. And, boy, you talk about the Penny Hardaway uh, era. It was finally looking like, okay – you're finally getting some buy-in after two years, maybe from this young team, and uh, had some guys opt out at midseason. I'm not saying those guys were were, were the issue, but you could kind of see uh, after that last Tulsa loss, things start to click with the team. They won six out of their last seven. Uh, everyone seemed to be on the same page, and really, it kind of swung with Alex Lomax finally, uh, finally starting to develop in the player that we hoped that he would be. Going back to last year, Penny's second year. It was, quite frankly, disappointing the way they performed. So the expectations were high going into this third year. Even with the COVID world we're living in, the expectations were that this team would be a tournament team. Everybody believed that. And they started out the way they did, struggling. And you're thinking, man, who am I going to point the finger at? Because 
how is this happening again? And then finally it clicked. It clicked. And this team, which is one of the best defensive units in the entire country, found offense. They already have athletes. We know that. But they found, they gelled. We saw the chemistry. They started making shots. They were finding the open man. They were really distributing the ball much better. And at the height of that, just when it's a perfect time to peak because you're getting towards tournament time, this happens to them. And so, again, you hate to say, well, last year the tournament didn't happen. They shut it down. This year it's COVID, you know, excuse after excuse. The way I look at it is partly this COVID-19 rash that has hit Memphis is a legitimate excuse. But the other part of me says, yeah, but you guys struggled out of the gate. And that's on you for the way you started. So I'm going to give Penny a lot of credit because when he realized changes had to be made to the offense, he made those changes. I think he's done a really good job within games in being able to adjust. Mm -hmm. He does a good job. Some games he has Musa Cisse in there. Some games he wants to go smaller. So I think he's really learning, excuse me, to be a, a better coach. And again, it's the timing couldn't be, the time has always been to, to miss games because it screws up your schedule. You can't practice, but right now. So now, because we were starting to question, hey, wait a minute, does Memphis actually have a chance? Can they get back into this conversation? Well, they got a game against Cincinnati, a game on the road. And I know Cincinnati's not like they used to be, but still. A game at Houston, a game at Wichita State, they win those games. They're back in the conversation yeah. or they're in the conversation. And now you're, you're looking at two weeks to get in as many games as you can, assuming everybody's back for Wednesday, which is the Tulane game, week from tomorrow, because the Temple game's already off, as Jeff alluded to, as you alluded to. So the, uh, the chance of making up these games, all these games, is null and void. It's not going to happen. So are you going to play the Houston game, the Wichita State game, which gives you a chance if you win, again, to be in that conversation? If you don't play those teams, you're not picking up anything by beating Tulane, by beating South Florida, by beating Temple. Let's be honest. I'll, I'll be kind of curious, Greg, to see what the league will do as far as and, – and there are not a lot of availabilities, if any, really, to reschedule if you're going straight up. Unless the league decides, let's take the top four teams in the league – we need to rearrange the entire league schedule to give this league the best chance to get two or three teams this year into the into the tournament. So maybe you know, in the last three weeks, it's adjusted completely from what the schedule says now. And, you know, I think it's paramount that that Wichita State game, uh, if, if we're able to, to make that up, is gigantic. Because I think finishing second in the league standings is going to be huge if you want to be that second team in to an NCAA, at least an opportunity. That's exactly right, Jeff. That's exactly right. Everything should be on the table right now with Mike Oresco and the powers that be at, at the conference um, headquarters, the offices, because right now you've got one team going to the tournament. Unless somebody pulls off the big upset in, in the conference tournament and gets the AQ, you have Houston going and that's it. Yeah. So what do you want? You want multiple teams. You want to put these teams in a position to – have a great chance to get in. And yes, it may disrupt some things, but does it really matter in this right now, in this season of COVID, 
if Memphis plays or doesn't play that USF game in Tampa, but can get to play Houston. So, yes, I think you're absolutely right. Mix and match, travel plans. Gosh, travel plans are made 24 hours before, basically, because that's the way we are with the rescheduling and and the cancellations and the postponements and things of that nature. So why not look at what is advantageous? I'm not saying for the, the commissioner to say, okay, Memphis plays six games against Houston. They got two on the schedule to play. One has already been postponed. Play those two games. They got one against Wichita State. Play the Wichita State game. So what if you don't play the second game against Tulane or South Florida? Give Wichita State and Memphis a chance to get into the conversation. Because, sorry, East Carolina is not in it this year. Tulane's not in the conversation. You might as well try to get multiple teams in. Well, I, I, think, I think it's important that you try to get multiple teams in. We knew it was kind of going to be a, a little bit of a down year for the league. It was kind of rebuilding with some young teams. There was, it was going to be top-heavy, just a very few top-heavy teams. So, if you can get two, and avoid if things, if you got an upset in the conference tournament, somehow were able to wiggle in three, that that would be big going forward and trying to get that league back on track. My gosh, if you if you were able to pull that off in basically the last three weeks of the season and get three teams in, that's nothing short of a miracle. But right now, I take two. Of course, yeah. we want Memphis to be the second one, and. A, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility the way the schedule had set up and the way they were playing. And again, right now, all things are off as we sit and wonder what's going to happen. Uh, let's shift again. Let's talk some football because uh, Ryan Silverfield is going to be on the podcast Thursday and we talked about some things. And it's going to be fun this year in, in spring camp because we have gone a stretch of three, four, five, six, about eight years where we haven't, we've gone into spring practice. There's always competition, but let's face it. We knew Paxton was going to be the quarterback. You knew Riley was going to be the quarterback. You knew uh, Brady was going to be the quarterback. And now you got a legitimate battle. You got Parrish, who was here on the transfer from LSU. You got Gannell, who's coming from Arizona. He's got some great recruits. I mean, it's going to be uh, kind of the wild, wild west this spring. Uh, and it's, it's going to be fun watching the battle for, for that quarterback spot. I, I always got a kick out of the previous head coaches in spring ball say, yeah, we got an open, we got an open battle for the quarterback. And we all say, oh yeah, yeah, coach, whichever, you know, whoever it was, yeah, coach, knowing that, come on, we already know who that starting quarterback is and you know who the starting quarterback is, but they don't want to go out there rough with feathers and all that. We understand the game that's played. This time it's legitimate. The, I predict that there's, no way we come out of spring football, assuming we have spring football, everything goes fine, where Coach Silverfield announces a starting quarterback. Yeah. This is going into August, in my opinion. It is absolutely wide open. Now, you don't bring in a Gannell not expecting him to win the job. Doesn't mean he'll win the job. It was just the same, same thing with Brady White. You got a guy who's coming from the Pac-12, he's coming from a Power 5, and you expect him to win the job. Now, Peter Parrish is coming from LSU, but a different type of quarterback. He still is a heck of an athlete. He can win the job. Keelan Brown, he was the backup basically this year. He can win the job. It is it is wide open. It, you said it. it's going to be fun. I don't know if the media will be out there to be able to watch spring practice. Who knows? But I am going to be interested to see um, who is taking that first snap in game number one because it isn't a slam dunk that it's going to help. Yeah, the, the funny thing I talked to him about this morning was the fact that, uh, you know, everybody's going to be watching the quarterback battle, but also the last six years you've had the number one 
and number two most accurate kickers in the history of the University of Memphis and Elliott and, and, and then Riley. And so you talk about pressure being on the new kicker. I mean, he's, he's statistically, he's following the two best. I mean, and that's no disrespect to Guskowski or Allison who won the Lou Groza, but you look at percentages of field goals made the last six years, the top two guys have been there. Yeah, I, I thought the same thing for Elliott when, when he was – or for Patterson when he was following Elliott. I thought, oh, my gosh, how is Riley going to even be in the same sentence? How are you going to utter the same, that name when you've just seen what, uh, what Elliott has done? And Jake was incredible. And then Riley goes out there and puts together an amazing career. He had an unbelievable Cotton Bowl performance. Unfortunately, it lost, but he was fantastic. And then just played in the in the senior ball and kicked and kicked perfectly. So how do you replace them? Well, they always seem to find a way with that position. And I know they have a kid coming in and they expect him, and I, his name escapes me right off the top of my head, but they expect that that kid will come in and be a real good kicker as well. They got the transfer punter that's probably going to win the job from Tennessee. They just do an incredible job, as you know, Jeff. I don't have to tell you which special teams. They find the players. And they, they were able to it, – it's, it's crazy that they're able to find a great player that goes on to the NFL and replace him. But I think Patterson has a great chance to make it to the NFL. Obviously, Jake's got a Super Bowl. I think this next kicker, whoever it is, is going to be really good. It, it's just it's, – it's in the DNA here in Memphis. Well, especially impressive because you lose Limbo to South Carolina and he goes and – Get Swoboda from Rice, who's also one of the top special teams coaches in the country. It's so important, right? Special teams have been incredibly pivotal for Memphis over the years. And some programs out there just don't treat the special teams like they do the offense and the defense. And we always hear the coach say, you know, one-third offense, one-third defense, one-third special teams. Well, sometimes they don't act that way with what they're doing in practice and recruiting. Memphis does. They know it could be a game-changer. And it has been, whether it was Pollard running back a kickoff return or a long punt return to put him in great position and maybe get a game-winning touchdown or these kicks and punts. Adam Williams will be a loss. But again, you got a kid who two years ago was the starter for Tennessee and has some pretty darn good numbers and a big leg. So, yeah, special teams, they won't miss a beat, I'm telling you. Uh, I'm hoping for Ryan, the everything that swirled around his first year uh, with uh, the COVID, social issues, things like that, stop and start, postponement. Hopefully it goes a little bit smoother. I mean, he had a great, obviously the best first year of any uh, rookie coach at the University of Memphis, but uh, hopefully it, it kind of goes like the season is supposed to progress. Yeah, to deal with all that stuff. And then, of course, the eligibility rule that was implemented for players that they didn't year, use a year of eligibility. So what were you going to do with the seniors? He kept a few. Most of them, he just couldn't because of the numbers of all the recruits that he had already signed. I mean, you talk about the challenges of being a foot. You, you think about a football coach. Oh, he's a dumb jock. And these football coaches have to be incredibly intelligent to be able to, to deal with the numbers, deal with the scholarships, deal with, obviously, the NCAA. And then you throw COVID in there and Black Lives Matter and the protests and having to make sure that, the, the players and you and the coaching staff are all on the same page, which they absolutely were. Ryan led that charge. He was fantastic. And then you go ahead and you get eight wins and you win a bowl game. You stop the losing streak. It's a heck of a year for Ryan Silverfield. So I can only think, Jeff, that it's got to get easier. 
unless we get hit with locusts or something, I don't think anything else could be any harder than what he had to deal with for one year. For <laughs> the Mississippi turns red, it's flowing its blood. Start seeing the plagues again. So you know, hopefully that doesn't happen. The uh, I think he handled everything really great last year. So hopefully things run a lot smoother. We got just a couple minutes left, but we also talked about you know, that transfer portal kind of gives and takes away. And he knew it was, it, we were going to get hit a little bit. And he had warned fans early, don't be, don't freak out if you see some guys that were big contributors leave. And the thing I was impressed he told me today is, he's like, I'm not surprised at some of them. And maybe for some of the guys, it was time to move on because maybe it wasn't the right fit culturally here. So to me, that says, yeah, I was with Mike Norvell a while and we had this program and we, we've got a certain direction, but it's my program. And it's not going to run like it did, regardless of what success was here before I took over. Now it's mine, and I'm going to run it my way. Yeah, you run it your way. It is his program. And he, he told me in confidentiality, and I, so I'm not going to expose this. I'm not sure if he's publicly said it, but there was only one player that he thought was coming back that he ended up losing. Everything else was exactly what he thought. And then he went out there within the transfer portal – and was able to get those two guys from Michigan State, including one, a, a big offensive lineman. He did great as far as the transfer portal is concerned. It's, it's kind of a, a hot-button topic, the transfer portal, because it's become so frequent that it is the, it's the college's version of free agency yeah. in the professional ranks. That's what we have, for goodness sakes, with the transfer portal. Whatever the reason is that a young man or a woman – in the case of other sports, wants to transfer, that's their prerogative. But as far as a coach's concern of a program, you have to constantly be looking at who's transferring because you may be able to pick up that free agent, if you will, um, using an NFL term, but a player that can help out your program. And again, I think he's done a wonderful job. In, in about, a, about a minute or so here left. Let's circle back real quick to baseball. Again, not sure if we'll play this week or not, but this season, if fans are able to come out to the ball game, uh, and not talking about team expectations, but you've got a generational type player in Hunter Goodman, and this you're not going to get to watch him after this year because uh, this guy may be a top ten pick, not top ten rounds. The guy could be in the top ten picks uh, in college baseball after this year. Yeah, when it's all said and done, probably be. And we've had some decorated baseball players that have played at Memphis, but uh, I got to think he'll be the most decorated player. You're absolutely right, Jeff. This guy is a no-brainer first-rounder, but he could be as high as the top ten. He is a pleasure to watch. It's so natural. And I know that nickname's used a lot in baseball, the natural. But he is so natural to watch this guy play. And, of course, last year he moved over from catcher. He played more first base and some DH as well. He's a very versatile guy. But, yes, absolutely, when the weather gets better, you can get out there and we can have more fans in the stands. Because right now it's family members and things of that nature for the first, um, until we're told differently, get out and watch Hunter Goodman. He is fantastic. It's going to be fun watching that guy in the professional ranks and I would think in the major leagues before too long. All right, Greg. We'll catch up uh, with you a little bit later in the season. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. This has been Inside Memphis Athletics, the official podcast of the Memphis Tigers. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Memphis Tigers Sports Network.